from a heavenly perspective, there are only two real kingdoms in this world. One belongs to God, the other one belongs to Satan. There's no middle ground. We all have different governments for different countries and all kinds of things, but only two real kingdoms. And my focus this morning is on the characteristics of the inhabitants of these two kingdoms. Now, I found something on the internet that says, the heart of Jesus' teaching centers around the kingdom of God. The expression, kingdom of God, is found in 61 separate sayings in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Counting parallels to these passages, the expression occurs over 85 times. I'm pretty sure we all know a bunch of parables that Jesus told. And he said, the kingdom of God is like. Now, my intention this morning is to say, a little bit in a modern day kind of way, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like. When I speak about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world this morning, I'm speaking in earthly terms. Now, yeah, I'm not speaking about the kingdom of God up in heaven, because up in heaven, there, there would be no sin. There would be no evil. But we're living in God's kingdom here on earth, but we are surrounded by sin and evil. When we were born into this world, we were born into the kingdom of this world. A little bit in trepidation to say this, but I have to, we were born into the kingdom of Satan. I'll define a little bit further. And in order to become part of the kingdom of God, we need to be born again. Or like some people like to say, we need to be born from above. Jesus gave the definitive description of this in John 3 verse 5. Jesus answered, he's speaking to Nicodemus, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, in absolute surrender, I bow down to you. Lord, I commit my being to you. And Lord, I'm asking that you would speak to us this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that we can all know that you are present here. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture this morning is from Luke 6. And Luke's intention with his gospel, he says in the beginning of this gospel, he says his intention to, is to give an orderly account of all the happenings. And then he starts with basically when the birth of John was uh, prophesied about. And he carries on all the way through to the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Now, I just want to give you some highlights that leads up to the scripture that we're going to read this morning. The first one, the angels announcing the birth of Jesus to the shepherds with the words, Do not be afraid. Listen carefully. I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today, your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. Good news, great joy, Savior. The next highlight at age 12 in the temple, when Jesus responds to his parents, he says, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in, the, in my father's house? 
And Luke tells us that Jesus' parents didn't quite grasp it. Fast forward then to around about age 30 when Jesus was baptized. And the Holy Spirit depends upon him and the Father speaks from heaven. You are my one dear son. In you I take great delight. Note the great delight. This is followed a little bit further by the temptation of Jesus in the desert. And then the first public appearance that Luke describes in detail is when Jesus is back at Nazareth where he was brought up. And there he gave a sermon. And um, his sermon was based, up, based on Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and regaining of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus states very clearly that Isaiah was busy speaking about him all those hundreds of years ago. And um, this was really a start of Jesus to change the mindset of the people because they were expecting a savior all along, Messiah. But Jesus knew that the perspective of this Messiah was based on wrong understanding. So, so Jesus starts working on this. At that point in time, the Jews were under the rule of the Romans and they were quite oppressed. And the Jews expected Jesus to come kind of riding in on a white horse with armor and the whole thing and free them from the Romans and establish the Jewish kingdom again or the nation of Israel again and bring them back to kind of Davidic kind of things where they were like a, a world ruler. And that was the expectation. Jesus needed to work on that. The response of the people of Nazareth was they rejected Jesus because Jesus did not fit the picture of the Savior. They didn't only reject him, they even tried to kill him. After this, Jesus did a whole bunch of miracles. And those miracles were all in line with the prophecy in Isaiah. It was healing, setting free, new life, all in a positive sense. He also brought the teaching of the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, we need to understand that Sabbath really included all of Moses. It included the whole Old Testament. And Jesus said, I am not subservient to the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Shortly after this, Jesus spends a night on the mountain praying. And then he calls some disciples and 12 of them he designated as apostles. Now, our scripture this morning is the sermon that Jesus brought a little bit later that same day. Now, in everything we saw this far, we need to see that it is punctuated with joyful words, good news words, all the way through. So now we get to Luke 6. Oh, no, I'm sorry. A recap there. <laughs> For I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. You are my one dear son, in you I take great delight. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, 
regaining of sight to the blind and set those and set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So now we're first doing Luke 6, verse 17 to 23. And this part describes the inhabitants of the kingdom of God. It says, Then he came down with them and stood on a level place. And a large number of his disciples had gathered along with a vast multitude from all over Judea, Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who, su who suffered from unclean spirits were cured. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out of him and healing them all. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God belongs to you. Blessed are you hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and insult you and reject you as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and jump for joy, because your reward is great in heaven. For the ancestors did the same things to the prophets. Now the next part, Jesus describes the inhabitants of the kingdom of the world here on earth. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort already. Woe to you who are well satisfied with food now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their ancestors did the same things to the false prophets. I hope I have severely depressed you now. Out of context, this part would mean kingdom of God belongs to those who are poor, hungry, weeping, hated, insulted, and rejected. Whilst the inhabitants of the kingdom of the earth are the ones who are rich, well-fed, laughing, and respected. This does not sound fair. <laughs> if this was the limit of the meaning of Jesus' sermon, it would be real hard to understand why the angel said, I'm bringing you really good news. My really good news is you're going to be hungry and crying and poor and whatever. And it really does look like that. In context, we would see that Jesus was at the beginning of the road of changing people's mindsets of what the kingdom of God looks like and what the kingdom of the world looks like. And what the focus or the character is of those inhabitants of the kingdom of God and what the focus or intent or characteristics are of those people who belong to the kingdom of this earth. Real difference between the two kingdoms. I would like to present you with two images that to me depict these two kingdoms. The kingdom of the world is like and the kingdom of God is like. So my first one is the impression of the kingdom of the world. They're laughing because they heard this. This is the kingdom we are all born into, and we are born into this world, onto a cruise ship, a party ship. That's the way we are born. It's aimed at bringing pleasure to those who can actually afford to go on the thing. To the rest of us, it brings envy, I think, sometimes. Now, I believe that we, most of us have seen the movie uh, Titanic, and uh, most of you might remember the 
poster of it. Two lovebirds on the bow of the ship looking into a bright future because the builders of the boat said, not even God can sink this thing. So we are safe and secure and we're on this grand voyage. Now imagine all the partying going on inside the boat with the gambling and the dancing halls and the deck chairs and the martinis, whatever else. You can paint your own picture there. Mine looks quite fraught, but yeah. I've never been on a, a cruise ship, but I have an impression. In the years gone by, there were no regulations about what is allowed to be dumped off ships into the ocean. And um, fortunately that changed, but um, the oceans are still littered and still being littered. And my picture of a cruise ship is when you stand on the bow, you see the picture that, was it Kate Winslet and what's his name? That one. But they saw bright future. Inside the boat, picture of happiness and party and whatever. But you, if you stand in the stern of the boat, you see the rubbish that is left behind. Now, I mean, that is real. That is real. That is the way that we have polluted the oceans. And unfortunately, sometimes it is real about people's spiritual lives as well. My second picture, my impression of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a vacuum cleaner, an orange one. We all know how it works. We all know that there's no party in that. It's just pure, hard, dusty work. No glamour in it, no dancing halls, no nothing. What is left behind it is a clean floor. And that's the point. Some time ago, um, Herman depicted Jesus as a misfit. And um, I can tell you that the, the people of Jesus' time agreed with Herman, but in a very bad way, in a completely different way than Herman meant it. So. My picture of Jesus is an orange vacuum cleaner. Isaiah 53 verse 5. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well because of his wounds we have been healed. And 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we may cease from sinning and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. Can you see? Jesus sucked up our sins. He took away our sins. He gave us this wonderful privilege to say, yes, Lord, and accept for forgiveness. And then be left behind Jesus like a clean floor. In Hebrews 10 verse 16, this is the covenant that I will establish with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will inscribe them on their minds. A picture of a clean floor. Jesus sucked up the old me and he left me with a new nature so I can live for him. Today we're not talking so much about who Jesus was and what he did. 
But that's still really important because 1 John 2 verse 6 says, if I want to say that I'm submitted to Jesus, I better walk the way he did with a vacuum cleaner in the hand. Okay, that's my own paraphrase. So now, let's compare the cruise ship to a vacuum cleaner. The cruise ship focuses on earthly happiness, therefore on the self. But I tell you, there are not only happy people on a cruise ship. So this self-centered thinking also comes out in the following way. I want to be happy, but I am depressed. I want to be cheerful, but I'm angry. I want to be rich, but I'm poor. And then either I'm so blessed to be able to go on this ship, or, oh dear, I'm too poor to get onto that ship. Worldly way of thinking. The un unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. The vacuum cleaner is much more silent and to the point. The vacuum cleaner says, I want to serve. That's it. It's the only thing it wants. It doesn't want riches for itself. It doesn't want happiness. It doesn't want, it's not focusing on any of those. It says, I want to serve. Jesus was the ultimate vacuum cleaner. He came not to be served, but to serve. Him being king of this world, creator of this world, came down in human form and he said, I'm here to serve you so that you can learn what true service is. I just want to repeat 1 Peter again. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we may cease from sinning and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. So, in context, our scripture of today does not mean the kingdom of God on earth belongs to those who are poor, hungry, weeping, hated, insulted, and rejected, whilst the inhabitants of the kingdom of the earth are rich and well-fed and laughing and respected. The real meaning is about where is my focus. The real meaning is the kingdom of the earth belongs to those who are focused on themselves. And the inhabitants of the kingdom of God belongs to those who are mainly focused on the needs of those around them. It is about focus. It is not about your bank account. It is not about your kitchen cupboards. It is about where is your focus. Earlier I said, um, with a bit of trepidation, when we were born into this world, we were born onto a cruise ship, and the cruise ship being the kingdom of Satan. Now I'm going to go one step further, and please, those of you who have babies, stone me afterwards. We are born with a sinful nature, and a baby expresses that completely. A baby, by nature, is completely selfish. But you see, the point is, a baby is supposed to be like that. God created us that way. A baby is supposed to be like that. But a baby is supposed to grow up. A baby is supposed to mature. A baby is supposed to leave behind him or her those baby selfishness. The sin is not being born with a sinful nature. We can't control that. We inherited that from the first Adam. But Jesus dealt with that. He took away that burden. But the point is, we are now left with a choice. Our choice is this. 
I will hold on to my own selfish, sinful nature and think, I'll stay on the boat. Or I will say, Lord, I accept what you did for me. And therefore, I will take up my vacuum cleaner. Therefore, I will start focusing on those around me. Sonia prayed this morning about people getting off the pavilion and onto the playing field. I want to rephrase that. I'm praying for people to get off the boat and start vacuuming. Our focus really needs to be to look around us and see where there are dirty patches that we need to suck up. What I mean by that is to live like Jesus did. Where there are tears, to bring healing. Where there are sickness, spiritually or physically, to come to those people's aid like Jesus did. I'm not omnipotent like Jesus was. He could walk and heal people all over the place. His choice. I'm submitted to Jesus, but I tell you something, that healing can be brought in a whole bunch of different ways. And the point is not that I can heal, I can't heal. But when I take up that vacuum cleaner in the name of Jesus Christ, he will heal. He will suck up the dirt. He will leave this world in a better place behind me. I want to challenge us all today. For a short period, go and stand on the stern of your own life. And look behind you and ask yourself, what am I leaving behind me? Am I leaving behind me a dirty ocean? Am I leaving behind me a clean floor?